turn please in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 verse 14, we will be reading that and the other verses we'll refer to during the message. Matthew chapter 9 verse 14, and this is the Word of God. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us your word that is true and it's certain. And Father, we ask you, ask you for your Spirit's help uh, with these different verses to give us good understanding of what it means to, to fast and pray and to truly hunger for you. So, Father, work in us by your Spirit, we pray, uh, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dark chocolate, all right? Uh, it's not only delicious, but it's also very good for us. The, uh, it has uh, flavonoids to help our hearts. Uh, it's um, uh, an excellent energy source because it slowly releases into the bloodstream. Uh, it gives you sustained energy that's ideal for um, endurance activities and even for weight training. Uh, so the question really then is how can we best enjoy this uh, remarkable health food? And um, providentially, I was able to find my guide a while back uh, that I got to how to taste dark chocolate. There's 12 things here. I'm not going to give you all 12, but I'll give you the ones that will help you the most. One, find a location free from background noise, such as TV, road traffic, or talking to friends. Uh, And concentrate as intently as possible on flavor detection. Two, cleanse your palate with a wedge of, of apple or a piece of bread. So you can taste the subtleties of chocolate's complex flavor. Three, make sure that the piece of, this is important, the piece of chocolate is large enough. All right, that's, that's important. So you can accommodate a full evolution of the flavor profile. Uh, remember that the flavor notes gradually um, uh, evolve and unfold on your tongue rather than just in one large package. Uh, remember the aroma is an important consideration. You can inhale the fragrance ahead of time, and that will help uh, with the um, priming your tongue, getting you ready for the various nuances of the taste. And then finally, observe the taste and the texture. As the chocolate melts, concentrate on the flavors that are enveloping your tongue. Uh, close your eyes, take notes, enjoy the moment of bliss, and bask in contentment. So, that's how you can truly enjoy one of God's greatest gifts. Uh, but not on Saturday, March the 11th, all right? Instead, your mission team has asked me and you to not eat chocolate that day, and here's the good news for some of you to skip the broccoli as well, Uh, and instead fast and pray in preparation for our mission conference as we seek God to work in a mighty way here uh, at CNPC. And so the question, of course, is why fast? Why give up good gifts from a good God? Well, let's go to the text and see. First, I want you to note the wonder and joy of God and His gifts. Matthew 9, when the disciples of John came to Him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? All right, John's disciples have a problem. 
Anybody who is a good Jew has the practice of fasting. Uh, and um, uh, even the misguided Pharisees fasted twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, but they're watching Jesus and his disciples, and they notice they're not fasting. So they ask Jesus about it. And his response is to talk about the bridegroom, the guest at a wedding. Uh, a wedding's a wonderful time of celebration, and at that time it makes no sense to fast. I mean, nobody fasts at weddings, though it would save some of you money if they did. Uh, but I, but, but we, we, we come together, um, and the disciples, what they're doing is they're enjoying a taste of the future, uh, a taste of heaven itself. They're getting to fellowship with Jesus in the flesh and the present. And since they have that joy, there's no reason to fast. They need to feast. Therefore, what's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, and this means we delight in God and in all that God's made. And for us, that includes food. I mean, food's not for us just a necessity, but it's a celebration. We have it for all our life's important events, uh, for, for birthdays, and uh, we have it for uh, holidays and family gatherings, for church events, especially mission conferences. Um, and the incredible variety of food in this world and the variety of ways it's prepared by people around the world, uh, various peoples and cultures, it's a wonder to enjoy. And it shows the amazing diversity of our God uh, and the, uh, of the richness of all of, of God's creation. So we get a foretaste, the revelation we're getting there, of the great banquet we anticipate when we will sit down with people from all nations, from across all time periods, uh, and for one celebration feast. You know, when the Jews offered sacrifices in the Old Testament, they usually would then eat somewhere in the vicinity of the temple. Uh, so the idea was God was present with them while they were eating. So enjoying God's gift of good food is a way to enjoy God. And when one's in the very physical presence of Jesus, there's feasting instead of fasting, just like eternity. Have you ever wonder why God created food? I mean, God doesn't need to eat. So why did He create us to need to eat food? I mean, He could have made us without that. But He chose for His own glory to make us the way we are. So we ask, what do we learn from eating and drinking? John Piper suggests food and drink help us understand our, our need for God. I mean, Jesus teaches us to pray what? Give us this day our daily bread to learn a daily dependence upon God. Uh, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, He helps us understand that He's the main thing in life. He's what we want. And He created thirst, the kind of thirst that we have uh, on a hot, dry day where all we can think about is getting a, a cool cup of water to satisfy the thirst. And that's so we have a better understanding of our faith in Christ, what it's like, and, and why without Christ, we perceive we're missing something. Uh, we're searching for something. We want something more. So we need to grasp the promise of Jesus that he who believes in me shall never thirst. So what Jesus is saying is that he's the all-satisfying one. God wants us to find satisfaction in him. So we can say what David said. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you, O God. So even in the little things, God's Word challenges us that, what, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, what, do it all to the glory of God. 
Now here's the temptation we face. We've got to make sure we don't begin to love the bread more than the one who provides the bread. All right? Um, uh, If I give Becky a box of chocolate, I don't want her to to love the chocolate more than me. All right? Might be a chancy there. But anyway, that's my desire. All right? Uh, We don't want to love God's gifts more than we love God the gift giver. Uh, We don't want to love the things of this world and the things in this world more than we love God. So how do we prevent that? What can we do? Well, that leads us to fasting. Uh, And fasting, for biblical reasons, is when we deny ourselves food or something else of its equivalent in our lives for some reason, uh, for some reason we can't go without food, for a particular period of time so that we develop a hunger for God. And we desire the Creator instead of what He has created. When Jesus talks about physically even the disciples, He says in Matthew 9.15, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. See, what Jesus said, when He's no longer physically present with the apostles, then fasting will be appropriate. And though it's never commanded, it's assumed in Scripture that we will at times fast. After all, we know that just prior to Jesus' ministry, uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Now why? We'll go back to Matthew 4, if you will. Jesus has just been baptized, and uh, he's about to begin his public ministry. We read this, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember, the Bible says Jesus is fully God. He's fully human. It says he was tempted in every way just as we are. He grew up in this world and he enjoyed the things of this world. He enjoyed the food. He enjoyed the fellowship with people. He enjoyed the beauty of the world. He he took delight in all that he'd made. And now he's been experiencing that for over 30 years. And he knows what an attraction the world is for people. Uh, He knows how much we enjoy the the, the wonder of the Grand Canyon and and a T-bone steak. All right? Uh, And so the temptation is for Jesus, the God-man, the one who's enjoyed unique oneness with the Father in heaven, prior to the incarnation, for all of eternity past, to forget about the wonder of that relationship with his Father and settle on mere delight in the things of this world. So to break that attraction and indicate that his heart longs for fellowship with his Father and to be aligned with the will of God, the Father, Jesus fasts and he gives up the world. He leaves food and family and fellowship behind He goes into what was considered the barren wilderness away from the the beauty of the Sea of Galilee. And for 40 days, he concentrates on his relationship, his fellowship with the Father. Longing for the day when he once again will be in heaven at the Father's side. So when we think about the temptations, we don't have time to go into all today in detail that he faces. What The first we see deals with food. The second deals with the wonder of of, of human creation, that is, the temple. Uh, The third deals with with nature, the wonder of nature, a high mountain. 
In each case, Satan says this, uh, abuse your powers and these wonders and bow down to me. Find satisfaction in the created world and I will give it to you. You don't have to do anything else to have the whole world but bow down. Which means no cross. If you go all the way down through it, Jesus' final answer is this. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Jesus maintains that God the Father is the focal point of His life. And He will delight in worshiping Him only. So fasting turns us from our preoccupation with God's gifts, especially food, to instead focus on God the giver and realize He is our all in all. He is, in fact, our everything. Fasting sets aside our physical appetite so that we learn to hunger for God, to deliberately choose to find our satisfaction in God instead of food. And every pang of hunger, hunger should make us think of God. Remember, John Piper suggests the greatest enemy of our hunger for God is not poison, but what? It's apple pie. You see, Satan offered Jesus really good things, but not the best thing, which is fellowship with God. The same with us. What dulls our appetite for God is not the temptation maybe to sin such as robbing a bank, but sometimes a preoccupation with our longing for God's material gifts. The problem is we satisfy ourselves with the pleasure of this earth instead of an appetite for God. Our enjoyment of God's good gifts for our enjoyment of God Himself. So when we fast, we try to eliminate our focus on the simple earth of the pleasure of eating and instead find satisfaction in God and Him alone. But Jesus' parable in, in Luke 14 helps us see that. You recall there a man prepares a, a great banquet. He tells people he's going to have it. He says, I'll let you know what time, when it's time to come. Uh, and so when it's ready, he sends the word, come now. But three of the people have excuses. One's bought a piece of land. He says, I've got to go check that, this land out, you know. Um, and there's nothing seemingly sinful about that. Another one purchased some new oxen. He wants to go test drive those oxen, see how they work out. Nothing so sinful about that. And the third one just got married. And he says, you know, I, 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 want, I want to devote attention to my, my new wife. That's nothing wrong with that. Land, oxen, marriage, all good gifts from God. But they're all keeping the people from the feast. And it's God's feast. In finding joy in God himself, the feast giver. So Satan and said, tempt us with dramatic sins to pull us away from God. All he has to do is get us to focus more on the gifts than on the giver of those gifts. Even serving God, what we do for God can, can at times become more important to us than our relationship with God. So fast is a way to help us wean away from all those things that pull our attention away from God. Everything try to find satisfaction apart from God. And the more we enjoy God, the more we're satisfied with Him, then the more God is glorified. So what role does fasting play in our lives? The only time God ever commanded the children of Israel in the Old Testament to fast was on the Day of Atonement. It was the great day of sacrifice for the sins of the people. The intent then was to turn all their attention to God, to His work of atonement, for them through the, through the exodus, 
pointing to the cross. But the Jews picked up on that idea of fasting, and even though the Pharisees had a lot of loopholes, uh, by the way, they get nibble at some food on that day. And so we need to understand where fasting, the role it plays um, uh, and cannot play. Um, you know, we, we can't fast just as a ritual. Um, we can't, we can't, you can fast for health benefits, but that's not the primary purpose of it. Uh, Luke's parable, uh, rather Jesus' parable in Luke 18, demonstrates for us uh, this kind of fasting abuse. If you remember, the Pharisee stood up in church and he thanked God that uh, as he prayed, he said, Lord, that I'm, I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Well, two abuses jump out at us. One is to focus our attention on ourselves. Look at me. I'm fasting. So that fasting becomes our, our personal pride. It becomes about our own willpower. The second abuse is thinking that we can somehow uh, obligate God to answer our prayers. The inherent danger in fasting is that we become so wrapped up in ourselves in fasting, we get satisfied with ourselves, with our performance. Yeah, I'm doing this. We think, now, I've, I've obligated God here. All right? Um, rather than having our fasting focus on finding satisfaction in God and Him alone and what He delights in. So in the Old Testament, fasting plays a, a critical role at key times for uh, enabling people like Moses, uh, Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, Esther, and Daniel uh, to learn to focus on God. It was used to take their eyes off of uh, untroublesome circumstances or before undertaking key mission assignments. So they'd realize again, God himself is the answer to every need. Because only God satisfies. So that leads us to ask the, ask the final question. What role does fasting play in our prayer preparation for the mission conference? Right. Jesus' final preparation we saw was he began to carry his mission is fasting. Because Jesus knows what lies ahead. And it's the cross. He knows that's where the Father will make him to become sin. And will punish him. And pour out all of his wrath on him. And he will suffer like no one else in all of human history. Uh, suffered. And he'll pay the penalty for the sins of all who believe in him. He'll die in our place. It's an incredible mission that Jesus is undertaking. And it fashion enables him to focus on God. Focus on his mission. So if Jesus being God, fast... What about us who are not God with the mission that God's given us? Remember after the resurrection, Jesus said to the disciples, As the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And I realize that what we do pales in comparison to what Jesus did for us. It's hardly worth mentioning. Yet it's what God calls us to do. His mission is for us to be equipped to engage God's world with the gospel. Ministering in word and deeds so that we will have more and more people to exalt God. And this mission conference will call on us to, to multiply our work around the world, even as we seek more ways to mobilize in order to multiply our hands-on ministry across northeast Georgia. We want to be obedient to God the Father. And so did Jesus. Jesus' fasting demonstrates he'd rather feast at God's table in the kingdom after doing God's will 
than enjoy the finest food and chocolates the world has to offer. And that's the kind of heart God's looking for from us that He'll use to change the world. People seek to truly love God with all their heart and all their soul and all their mind and all their strength. And that's what the church in the book of Acts is about. Go over to Acts 13. Acts 13. Watch what happens. Verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've given, called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Worshiping, fasting, praying. Um, this is an ordinary worship service. Obviously, it looks like they're seeking God's direction here. Um, and in this context, the Holy Spirit directs the most significant event in the history of missions other than Christ's ministry and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And that is, as the Holy Spirit guides them into deliberate expansion through deliberate missions. Uh, up until this point, missions had been just haphazard. Where they went, here and there, they were taking the gospel, uh, depending on God's providence. Now, in the context of fasting, God gives a new direction, and it's specific. Set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work and send them off. Now, let me say something about the, the power here of corporate prayer as we see it here. We can and we should pray individually, all right? We're also called to pray with others. That's what we see in, in, here in Acts. And we see the church praying together. You can read in Acts 1, they prayed together. You can see it in Acts 2. In Acts 4, they pray together. And the place where they, where they were is shaken. When Peter's put in prison, uh, they gather together as the church and they pray. Uh, so we, we see it in the promise of Jesus. He said, where two or three are gathered, he's there in the midst of them. We need to grab onto that promise and, and pray. Because the reality is that in making Jesus' name known here in Chestnut Mountain and around the world, we're engaging in a great uh, unseen spiritual battle. We're waging war against principalities and powers for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. You know, one of our stated goals as a church is that CMPC seeks to be a church where prayer is as common and essential as breathing. Now, why is that? It's because prayer is our most powerful weapon. As Christians, we're never more powerful than we're on our knees in prayer. Just look at church history. Consider the impact of, of John Huss and Martin Luther, of John Calvin and John Wesley. They all spent time in prayer and fasting. Look at John Knox. He prayed and fasted. God, give me Scotland or I die. And so what did Queen Mary say? She was against it, by the way. Uh, she said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. So what about us? Sorry, March 11th, we're asking God to work through this church to carry the Great Commission. By fasting, we're saying we hunger for God and we want to do His will in missions. We hunger for God and for His glory more than anything in this world. 
As individuals, it means we're asking God to, to show each of us uh, what He wants us to do. So that people hear the name above all names. They hear the name of Jesus and come to know Him. So God may be showing us how much more money He wants us to give. We would rather spend our money on things of this world that we enjoy or spend, spend, spend on spreading the joy of, of, of people knowing Jesus around the world. God might be showing us how much more we need to pray. How we need to go to the Lord daily for the specific needs of our missionaries. I mean, should we spend our time watching TV, surfing the net, or, or praying for our missionaries? I mean, our money sends them. But God wills to use our prayers to empower them. And friends, we limit our missionaries when we do not pray. Or maybe as we're praying for God to raise up laborers into the harvest field, each of us needs to ask the question if He wants us to go. I think God would have every single one of us ask that. Staff, elders, deacons, women's leadership team, Sunday school teachers, choir, ushers, greeters, uh, nursery workers, teenagers, children, adults, mountain climbers. I think I've covered everybody. All right. Uh, if you're not one of those, I'm including you too. All right. But we need to ask the question, Lord, is it me? Am I the one you're sending? And that's a scary question to ask. Meteors can think of a hundred reasons why it's you and not me. All right. Uh, not at this point in my life. But is there a good reason not to ask that question? Parents, grandparents, are we willing to pray that God would send our children or our grandchildren into the mission field today? Children and teenagers, I have, a, I have a special challenge for you. All day Saturday the 11th, through the Sunday morning worship service, I would urge you to fast from your cell phone. Ooh. Text messaging. Facebook, you don't use Facebook anyway, but that'll be an easy one. How about Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Reels, TikTok, computers, video games? And pray and ask God, are you calling me to go as a missionary? You know, it's, it's in the context of fasting and prayer that we learn to hunger for God, and that's when we need to ask those questions. So I want to encourage you to sign up uh, to join us for prayer here at CNPC. Missions is global warfare. And so we need to gather together to fight the battle with prayer. I'm aware that some of you have schedules you can't do it that Saturday. Some of you need to pray at home. Um, more of as many as possible uh, will join us here for a part of the day uh, so we can pray together. If you find that typo, I'll give you an extra dessert as well. All right? Um, uh, again, for some, might need to choose another day. For some, fasting is not wise because of your health. Then choose something else meaningful to give up. Uh, the point would be give up something to make us hunger so that we learn to hunger for God. Because we want to do His will when it comes to missions. The grasshoppers destroyed nearly every uh, crop in Minnesota from the years 1873 to uh, 1876. So the following spring, they fear it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a dreadful plague that will again destroy their wheat crop and bring ruin to thousands of people. So Governor John Pillsbury... And yes, that is the same Pillsbury, all right? He proclaims a day of fasting and prayer. And there's just every man and woman uh, and boy and girl uh, to ask God to prevent this disaster. So on April 26, all the schools, all the shops, all the offices are closed, and a reverent, quiet hush crosses the state. The next day dawns, it's bright and clear. Temperatures soar to where they ordinarily are in the summer, even though it's April. 
The people are devastated because they discover billions of grasshopper larvae wiggling to life. And for three days, the unusual heat persists and the larvae hatch. So it appears it won't be long until they start feeding on the crop and the wheat's destroyed. But on the fourth day, the temperature suddenly drops and a frost covers the earth. And it kills every single one of those larvae as if it had been fire or poison. And grateful farmers never forgot that day. It goes down in history in Minnesota as the day God answered the prayers of a fasting people. Now Charles Spurgeon said, Whenever God determines to do a great work, He first sets people to pray. When Nehemiah led the nation in a time of fasting and prayer, they began this way. Blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all blessing and praise. I hope that same prayer expresses the desire of our hearts. Let's pray and fast and then watch what God does for the glory of His name that's above every name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to you for all your provision for us. And Father, we ask your forgiveness for when we, uh, Father, we pursue your gifts more than we pursue you. Father, we confess we're easily distracted. So Father, help us to set apart time to hunger for you. To hunger for your will, Father, for us as individuals, for us as a church. So that, Father, the the name of Jesus is spread far and wide and people come to know him as Savior and Lord. Father, is anybody here that doesn't yet know Jesus? Lord, may you fill them with a thirst and a hunger right now that can only be satisfied by their coming to know your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.